to the Rock Out of Podcasting. I am Charles McFall, the aforementioned Rock Out of Podcasting, and I'm here to share some stories and answer your questions. This is Kevin Smith storytelling with full vulgarity meets. I lost his face, but you know his face, the big motivation. Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins with some motivation. And you know what? There's a bio. I actually got inspired the other night on charlesmcfall.com. If you go to about, I rewrote my bio and I put something really, really great in here. And it was Kevin Smith and Tony Robbins and there's something else. And I need to go and look that up and memorize it. But, you know, I keep t- feel like I need to tell you what the show is because I feel like every time I do a new show, a new person is going to listen. A new person is going to feel it. So here's how this show works. You give me questions. You give me that you know send me your questions and i tell you stories and i answer the questions as best i can tell you my failures my missteps the the things that happened in my life the entertainment the laughter and of course what i've learned from it and how i got to where i am why am i the rock out of podcasting well you have to ask the questions and through the stories you learn why and to do that you can hit me up at rgop at charlesmcfall.com that email works. We tested it the other day and made sure it worked. You could do that. You can go to rockgodapodcasting.com and right there on the right side of the screen is a speak pipe tab to leave your voice message or, of course, facebook.com forward slash rockgodapodcasting and Twitter's at rockgodapod. All of those work. And today we actually, actually have a follow-up question. Woo! <laughs> We've been begging for you to ask your questions ever since I launched the show. And this is a follow-up question to a show that we did on uh, called Value for Value, where I talked about uh, how to have value in your life. And Mike, my producer, who is always here to kick us off, he's not actually got the question today, but in editing this show and in producing the show, he goes, man, I, I got so much out of this. And Mike, I, I wanted you to share for a minute or two what you got out of Value for Value and why it was so important to you. Well, Charles, the in my case and what I'm finding out is uh, the case with a lot of people who try to live their lives in what's called the freelance economy, uh, which is to say a lot of people are trying to break out on their own as entrepreneurs and run their own businesses across the Internet. In my case, I have a business called MikeAtTheMike.com, and that's how you and I uh, started working together. I offered you, you know, my services uh, across Facebook. What I do is uh, voiceover and audio editing and uh, audio mastering, engineering for podcasts, just making them generally sound better. I've got a website like a, a lot of entrepreneurs do, mikeatthemike.com. And when you get up there, you'll find a section for my rates. You know, these are the services that I provide, and this is what I charge to provide you those services. And my problem, along with a lot of entrepreneurs out there, is I may undervalue my services. And that keyed into that particular episode, value for value. The point of the episode was you had brought up that an old school podcasting term, value for value, is if you're getting value from the show that I'm giving you, the entertainment that I'm trying to provide you, if you get value from that, then provide me value by kicking a little money my way and helping me keep up and running. I was able to interpret part of the show in the sense of, if if you have value, you need to recognize your own value and accurately gauge what that value is so that you can keep doing the thing that you love to do. So it was definitely a personal interpretation of what it was you had to say. But I really keyed into that part of the episode, and, and that's why I brought it up with you. 
Well, awesome. That's exactly what I hope everybody gets out of the show is a personal interpretation of what I say. Because the stories I tell are my personal stories, right? And on the surface, you can look at it, and it's just an entertainment value for an hour. You get to hear these cool stories. It's, I, I've always believed and felt like I'm a great storyteller. People have told me that in the past. I entertain with a story. Nothing else, you're getting entertainment for an hour. But I hope you go more deeper than that and, like Mike, get value out of get your own personal interpretation out of it and mike's not the only one i'm pretty sure hashtag damn it carl has said something to me about the show or at least something similar to this in the past and sherry lowry i posted this in a group that i'm a part of it's it's a group from the old show that i worked on it's still going uh, armor and my still doing success freaks and a group that came out of that was success freaks buttercups and every once in a while because I know the Buttercups actually do enjoy what I do. They definitely enjoyed my work on that show. I posted in that group, and for whatever reason, this one just stuck with me. I said, you know, I'm already getting messages from people saying, this show resonated. This show is something I needed. So I'm just going to put it here in the Buttercups. And Sherry Lowry spawned this particular episode today. This is the first follow-up episode we've ever done. This is going to be basically, how do I find my, how do I find my value? And here's what Sherry posted. OMG, Charles McFall, this podcast has hit home with me. Me and my family own a small woodworking business, and my mom and dad will make anything on a piece of wood as long as they have a picture of it. Woo! I said woo because it's two exclamation points. <laughs> I have one question for you. How do you determine your value? For instance, my mom looks at her stuff and says that she is not as good at painting and values herself at a lower price than I do. So I was just wondering, how do you find out what your worth, what you, yeah, what your worth is? Because me and my mom totally disagree on what and how to price things. Whew, great question, Sherry. And one, thank you so much for following up on this. I got to tell you, I love when people listen. I, it's, it, it helps my ego so much. It helps me feel valuable when people listen to me, and it definitely makes me happy when people follow up with things because in every show inevitably i'll hit on a point and go hey if you want to hear that story ask that question if you want to hear this this show just on my own thoughts alone could go for years and and that would be all right with me especially if i get millions of listeners anyway uh but the fact that you're interacting it's it's God, I love conversations, I love discussions, and I love the sound of my own voice. So I love this format of saying something and then you responding, which gives that conversational value, that discussion value, and then I get to go back on another story on my own. And in real life, if you meet me, I don't hog the conversation. I want to hear your side of it. But this is a, 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 this is a show long time coming for me where I've always shared the mic, and this is the first time I have it. So it's mine. I'm keeping it. All right, how do I determine my value? Man, there's going to be so many paths to go down here, and there are going to be uh, some metaphysical, right, some spiritual, and some definitely practical. I'm going to start with the practical right now. That is the question for every entrepreneur, for every person. How do I put a value on what I do? The fear that Mike had, or the concern, I hate the word fear, because it's, it's, I don't think Mike's afraid of it. I think there's a concern there that, do I undervalue my my thing? Do I undervalue the the thing that I do, the, the project that I work on? The other concern, do I overvalue it? Do I price myself out of a market that I could have had? You see the first one a lot on Shark Tank. 
on Shark Tank all the time that oh you're you're way too low on the the price of that you could easily be charging this this and that and and so on and so forth. I, I, let me tell you a story before I get into the practicality of some of this. When I was coming up into making money on my own. I don't remember the age and what projects I've done, but I've always, always had that fear of underpricing. And I had this mentality. I had this mentality that I still hold to a point, right? It was a little bit of an anti-rich. You don't deserve that. And I'd look at somebody who makes a ton of money and was like, you, you don't need a billion dollars. You could do, do, do. Well, that's a, Okay, that's a bullshit mindset. That's a closed-minded mindset of taking from others, of shutting other people down because I feel like I have nothing. It's it's the way that you'll never, ever get ahead in this world, ever, is by taking from others or by shutting them down. Okay, so I shut them down. They don't need a billion dollars. They don't have a billion dollars. How did that help me at all? I got none of it. So what good did that do? And hey, gentle listeners, for the first time ever, I actually refilled my cup of coffee and I'm going to be drinking it. So check this out. Watch, watch, watch. Mm. Mm. Now, after that, Mike's going to cut out all the mouth sounds because it can be gross and I don't want that to happen. But I just wanted to share that that warm, awesome moment with everybody because I love coffee. So I had this mentality of, oh, that's, that's just horrible. Now, here's where I still believe I'm right. Back in the mid-2000s when Bush Jr. was president, Call it karma, call it the secret, call it whatever, but you elect an oil man into office, and for the time that he's in office, oil prices are record high. I'm just, I'm not saying he's devious. I am absolutely refusing to say that he intentionally did anything to line his pockets that was immoral or unethical. What I am saying is, now what I understand about what we attract, this man has made his fortune on oil prices and because I feel like there's not a strong, clear, I'm going to go do this and step away from that mentality, the things that he did attracted higher oil prices. We had all kinds of things going on during that time. Prices got to, in the in Georgia, prices got to four, over $4 a gallon. And it was breaking people. It was horrible. But I would look at Exxon, I would have these discussions. Exxon Valdez, I believe it was, or maybe Exxon Valdez is the ship. Exxon, the company, <laughs> posted in this time of, of hardship and back-breaking, spirit-crushing prices. Because when you can't afford to drive to work, there's a problem. And everybody in America was feeling it. The economy was going down because of it. Because you had to save money for gas. And during that time, I... Actually started, that's when I got my, I owned my first motorcycle. Thanks to Bush Jr. Who did that uh, uh, tax rebate for everybody to stimulate the economy. And I got $1,800 check. And my wife and I discussed it. And I went and bought an $1,800 motorcycle. Because that was the only way I could afford to go to work and make money. I could not afford to fill a car up. My wife had to stay home probably five out of seven days. And whenever she did go to town, because we lived 30 minutes to 45 minutes from town, so that's one way, right? Where her family was, where all the big grocery stores were at the time. We were living out. Uh, now, this is going to sound fancy, but it ain't that fancy. We're living out on the lake, but we did not have a lake house. We were across the street from the lake in the community that was down there. We liked the, the, 
the environment. We loved being away from people. We did like having lake access uh, as far as going swimming and, and having people over and those kind of things. But the 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 give up of the value for that the 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 loss was that we had to drive forty five minutes to town, and yeah, I'm getting to my point of of where I'm going. So let me stop with all those details. Talk about rode a motorcycle. It's the only way I could afford to go to work. But I made my life happen. That's what I did. I made my life happen. But I looked at Exxon during that time because there was a guy talking about gas prices and justifying it, and at the time. Exxon posted a, I think it was a $12 billion, with a B. It could have been, for some reason, seven. The number seven is popping up in my mind. But it was a multi-billion dollar profit. Profit. And he was like, oh, but you did And he was, he was a jackass. Don, if you're listening, you were a fucking jackass. <laughs> you were. You tried to argue everything just for the sake of arguing. And he would sit there and he would talk about, oh no, but that's the they have to take out cost. No, 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 dumbass! You're you're fucking up the meaning of profit. Profit is after I've paid all my bills, I've taken care of all my regulatory taxes, I've paid all my people, I've done everything. Cost of business after the cost of business is done, this is the money that's left over. The money that's left over is called profit, and they had a multi-billion dollar profit on the backs of me and my fellow americans and and the rest of the world too it's not just america but that's where i lived and i still live at the time they they took it out of my blood sweat and tears that was wrong and instead of saying we need to put more regulations on them what i decided to do in my life was to stop focusing on the wrongness of it that was crazy that you're you're there's a profiteering, I think might be the word for it. Uh, you're, pir- you're being a jacket. You're, you're stealing from people because, yes, you can charge this. And across the board, everybody's charging this. But when you make a $7 billion profit and it's hurting people, you could easily be the savior. You could have been the hero of the day. BP, somebody could come in and like, you know what? We're going to come back and we're going to slash our prices in half when everybody else won't. And you're going to sell out of gas constantly, and it is going to cause a different problem. But you're going to say, uh, because billions of dollar profit, you can afford to cut your price in half and still make a, 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 hard, a very, very large profit. My point being, if you want to take away from people, then you'll never have value. You'll never get anywhere. But if you build a process because that's what it is a company's not really truly run by one person it's run by especially on that size exxon you get it's run by hundreds of that maybe even thousands of people worldwide you're know, all heads of departments all different things moving and and sinking in and, and different governments and different things to work with blah 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 when you make a profit always look at what's right now you, you can be a billionaire all day long and sell things reasonably reasonably to people. Xbox. I, I don't know the money that Xbox makes as a company, but I, I know their system. Everybody goes, oh, my God, the systems get more and more expensive. Well, they do because it costs them a lot more money to give this new technology to you. They take a loss on those systems. Even at $600, they're losing money on those systems where they make their money, and that's why it comes down gradually to, I think, this Christmas season, the Xbox 
at a, a, a larger sized Xbox at a, a better price. It's two ninety nine or something like that. And Xbox One, this particular year of recording. They're losing money on that. But the reason they can bring the price down and make more money in the long run is because people picked up on their system. And, and early adopters did pay a lot of money to get into it. And they make money on the software. They make money on licensing the, the kits to developers to build. They, they get royalties on stuff. They make their own games. And while, yeah, it costs money to develop, why are games $60 when it costs a penny to print them and blah, blah, blah? Because that's where they make their profit. Is and, and that's where all companies are in business to make a profit. And that's where I want to tell you, when you start talking about value for value and you're doing it as a semi-business or a profitable hobby, you're in the bank to make money. You're in the game to make money. And if you can't handle that, then we need to go to the spiritual thing of why are you not valuable? Okay. Now, I am going to focus on money a lot, but understand, value for value and how do I value my goods, my services, my skills, not necessarily is money related. And I think I did talk about this a little bit on the value for value show. Mike and I have a great value for value system. I absolutely try to give him money and I made it very, very clear. So be energetically happy. And yes, that's going to be the metaphysical slash spiritual aspect of this show is energetically happy because I'm fucking tired of myself telling myself I can't say shit like that without sounding like a goddamn crackpot because I was raised in the goddamn South by Southern Baptist and goddamn, I've said goddamn like four times now, but seriously, in the true sense of the word, goddamn that phrase, get it out of here crackpot weirdo because you know what energy is energy and things feel good and things feel bad and i have a story that i probably won't get to about that that just happened currently and because i decided like oh, i don't want to i don't want to say this doesn't feel right to me i i think i look i think i look stupid this is all in my head and this is in your head when you're not pricing your shit right when you're not finding your value for your own stuff when you when you're like oh i just don't do it uh but Sherry and Mrs. Mrs. Mama Sherry, <laughs> absolutely not picking on you. This is a human thing. Any here's the 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 uh, disclaimer for the show. Any anger and ire you hear typically comes at my own self and my own cost because of what I've put on in my life and I'm preaching to myself. Okay, and in that in that hopefully you'll feel some of the oh all right you know I should be better than this or or hey maybe he's right I don't know but any of the the loudness the 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 almost anger sometimes that comes out is that myself if you look at something and oh I just don't paint as good as shut up stop it keep it in your own head so if you if it, so I had the situation where I just didn't want to tell somebody okay I felt bad doing it i felt dumb doing it which should have been a sign to hey just wait just stop listen to yourself you shouldn't be doing this and i did it and i was like eh, i've already kind of stepped on some toes here let me see if i can back down and instead of saying hey i made a mistake i didn't do it it doesn't feel right I didn't put a good energy on it when i started i kind of felt douchey was the words i used about asking in the first place I'm sorry. Instead of doing that, I said, I'm going to try to use some business words. That'll be like, oh, all right. You know, it'll be cool. And in doing that, I I stepped on a beehive and made a mess and had to go and apologize and fix it. And, and, and I, just in avoiding being who I am, just in avoiding saying about the world how I see it, I messed up my value and I screwed things up. 
And you do that. When you look at something, my wife does the same thing. Oh, you know, it's not worth it. Like, no, it's totally worth that. You know why it's worth that? Somebody's actually paid you money for that. So practicality number one, has somebody offered you money for what you do? Now, they might lowball you, and that's I'm not saying the first price is always the best price. But we'll get to business aspects of entrepreneurism and how you should totally build your business. But talking to Sherry's mother, talking to my wife, talking to myself for skills, how I make my living is with my vocal cords. It's with my ability to tell stories and to entertain a crowd and to to just entertain myself. How do you put a value on that? It's been difficult, but I've gotten there. And I've changed it from time to time. But number one step before I tell you the practicality, which I did, has somebody paid you money for it, offered you money for it. I valued it for myself. I went, no, I am really good at this. I am a good storyteller. I am a good host. I am a good person who comes and entertains people. I am good. I love what I do. And I don't mean oh, I love my job. No, 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 no. I'm talking about in these situations where you have a hard time putting a price on it. Because even if you love your job and you know you're good at it, you in corporate America, we tend to let our bosses determine our value. And that's kind of a hard road to go down and fight because that's the system, right? Well, this job starts at this much money. Well, we, we gave an evaluation and all we're going to be able to afford. Like, in one of the better companies I worked for, uh, the best company I worked for for raises and money was CardioNet slash PDS Heart. They always took care of me. They they brought me in at a rate that was fair and that I needed, and they always gave me a raise that was fair. But they never, as far as I can remember, they never came out and said, this is the range of raises that we have, right? Uh, so I don't know what their range was. I don't know where I fell on the range. I feel like I did well. I always felt, money-wise, I always felt happy there. I felt valued. So when I say one of the better companies I worked for, National EMS, they their system was they would say, hey, it's it's every year at the same time as raise time. I think it was the same as, as the other companies, but this one time of the year is when we do reviews and everybody has you know they fill out their employee part, they meet with their uh, commanders or their directors or whoever, and they'll be they'll go over the review, so on and so forth, and of course the the. The people responsible for going over those reviews uh, have to go over the year and look at any kind of write-ups and so on and so forth. But they would always say, here's the range. Here's a financial, not not like here's the financial statement, like look at the numbers of the company, but the statement as in what we're saying is, hey, here's what we've done this year. We've done pretty good. Uh, we Here's the range that we have. And sometimes it was 1% to 5%. Sometimes it was 0 to 3%, depending on the year and how well the company did. It's a privately owned company. We all work together to make it better. But they would tell you the range. And I usually ended up in the higher end of the range. But it was nice knowing, oh, some people might not. Nah, okay, it's not nice knowing that some people might not get a raise. But it's nice knowing there's a range and what you're valued at. So. I forget why I got on the, the race. Oh, uh, fighting corporate America. They would give a range. And I, I I could not negotiate my way out of that, right? I couldn't say, hey, I've done this amazing job, and I want 10%. But here's the lie that I just told, in case you didn't catch it. I said I couldn't. I could not. Not is the biggest lie. It's the cake of the universe. You will not. It will never work. Because I could totally do that. Because every job is negotiable if you're willing to walk away. 
if you're willing to lose it. And I never was. I was never brazen enough to go into a nice, happy, keep in mind, I'm talking about nice, happy talks, not adversarial. The opposite of adversarial is what I'm trying to get. And yes, you'll hear me. I always try to eliminate not from my vocabulary. You can't not do something. Go over there and not turn on the light. No, you got to leave the light off. You know, so I, I I definitely sleep into it. It bothers me. I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna try to stop focusing on those moments when I say it and just keep flowing with the story. I was never brazen enough to go into a happy negotiation. And say I really think I deserve more. Pretty much because I didn't believe I deserved more. I believed I deserved what they gave me, and I earned uh, a decent raise from them. I earned a decent raise every time I got it. I was happy. But in corporate America, that's the hard part: is are you really valuable? How do you know? Track that shit. Write it down in a journal. Know what you brought to the table. Perhaps compare yourself to other employees. Find out what they're doing. Pay attention. Will it work? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they'll call you a troublemaker. Maybe they just want a team player. Maybe they do stuff that 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 you can't negotiate with. Yeah, I know. But maybe. You can go and say, hey, here's my value. Here's here's the trick to corporate America. I'm going to get back to hobbies. I'm going to get back to entrepreneurs. Here's the trick to corporate America so I can leave this on the table and move on. You have to be able to take that package to somebody else. And that is the trick to working and for the man. My buddy Douglas said it best many, many years ago to me. He goes, here's the difference between government and corporate America. Corporate America says, how much can we get you for? We want you. How much can we get you for? And they'll pay you what they have to pay you to get you in the door. And then after that, it's as little as they can give you for the rest of your life to keep you. What's the minimum we can do to keep you here? That's corporate America in a nutshell. Oversimplified? Yes. Are there exceptions? Of course. But that's, in a nutshell, what corporate America does, what the government does is he works uh, with the government, and they will hire you for the least amount possible, and they don't negotiate. This is the, uh, what do they call it? They they have tiers, and they have uh, columns, and they, they call it, you know, it's a G1 rating and a G5 and an N6 and a whatever. They, they say, this is what this job, this job is a, I'm going to make it up because I don't remember what the class, classifications are, but this is a G2. You're, this is a G2 job. This is what you're qualified for. You're going to get hired at $18,000 a year. I did not make that number up. He got hired to do a high-end job with a serious damn degree in engineering he had to have to get this job, $18,000 a year to start. I was making more than that when I was broke at the time and going, dude, seriously? But here's the deal. This is I think that's when he told me this. He goes, but here's the deal. I have a set pay plan. If I never move out of this column or whatever it's called, because they can go sideways and they can go up and then they can have promote steps, steps. They have steps and then they can go up a tier and get different steps if they get promoted and so on and so forth. So if he never leaves his tier and just takes the steps for 20 years, every year it's the same. As long as you don't commit treason and kill somebody, I guess, in the government, Basically, you're going to get your step up, your pay raise. And by three or four years in, he had surpassed me greatly in, in, in income. By, God, I don't know how long he's been in it now, but by now, he not only has gone up all his steps uh, as the years have gone by, he's also gone up a tier or maybe two. He's gotten some promotions. 
he's living very, very well for himself. And that's the difference in the government. They'll hire you for the least possible. They dictate this is exactly what it is. But you know, all you have to do is do your job and stay the course. And if you do it well, you get recognized and moved up to a higher pay level. But you get, by the time you're done, you get money, man. And that's that's the difference. There's no negotiating with the government, as far as I can tell from what he said, for rates and raises. But there is in corporate America. So here's the thing with corporate America. And this is part of your value and how do you value yourself. Well, here's another practicality to value yourself. What I started to say, track what you do. Understand what you're bringing to the company. Are you outperforming by a noticeable margin your coworkers? Are you bringing something extra to the table that they're not? And that's something I did at, at PDS Heart. Cardinet is a company that bought PDS Heart. So it's P as in Paul, D's and dogs, S as in Sam, but you're going to hear you go, Padis. Padis. <laughs> I just get slurry and fast. It's just lazy. But at PDS Heart, we were all hired and we all had the same skills to work the computers and to do our reports. And they had to show me how to do the reports, but we all had the same medical skills. This is where we made heart uh, reports. So we all had that going for us. And there were a few that worked a little bit harder. There was one guy who outperformed everybody just because it was so easy to him. And he taught me the way to make my life happy there. Well, that's a whole other thing about finding happiness when you can't find money or progress, find happiness. But that's another show for another time. But he, in his sleep, he he just did reports. He was just that damn good at it. I became actually pretty damn good. I was always second to him. He was, I just was. But I became second to him in the department of, of doing these reports. And there were others who definitely could overperform. They paced themselves. And then there was others who could barely make the mark. Okay? You have that range in every office. As long as you're in that range, you're not really bringing a whole lot more to the table. I'm... If I'm not doubling somebody else's report, how is that a big margin? If I'm doing five, if we're all doing 18, but I do five more than them, okay, great, thanks. And yeah, it adds up, but it's not huge. But I literally, 15 at one point was the 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 uh, uh, marker, right? 15 was the marker. And I got a while here, I got bored one day. And because you could do, most reports were 24 hours. And you go through it and you had to do 15 of those. So if you did a 48-hour recording, a two-day recording, that would count as two reports on your chart, right? You logged what you did every day. And they would let you count the 48s as double because they do take extra time a lot of times. I got a wild hair one day and got froggy and did 30 48-hour reports. And I had a headache. I was miserable by, by the end of the day. It's a challenge to set forth to myself because I was just bored. And I regretted it. And everybody's like, oh, my God, why did you do that? And I was like... I thought it'd be fun. I thought it'd be interesting. I kind of come in and be like, "Woo!" you know, because we all kind of gave each other a good, uh, good natured, hard time. And the, oh, I'm better than you. Woo. You know, the challenge of it all. And no, uh, everybody's like, wow, that's impressive. But why? And I, like, I don't know. I will never do it again. Yeah. I had a headache after it. It was, it sucked, but you know, I completed the challenge. Anyway, my point is there besides outperforming everybody, I also could fix the computers. I could teach people, oh, yeah, you, oh, yeah, you do this. And you, I would always get the new software. I'd be in on meetings when they looked at getting new software to rip it apart from a, a computer standpoint. I brought that to the table. I brought leadership to the table where they let me uh, loan at night on my own at first. And then more and more people started working at night with me. 
and I would just make sure they had the information they needed. I would take care of them and make sure they stay on their job. I never got the title of manager or assistant manager or anything like that. But they recognized the leadership skills. I brought more to the table. And that's that's something that I'm talking about. When you can recognize what you bring, it was no brainer for me to walk in and go, no, I run the night crew. Whether you give me the title or not, I run the night crew. My boss saw it. My boss's boss saw it. The day crew saw it. In fact, they would come to me and say, hey, you need to talk. To, not my boss. My boss. My boss's boss would always be like, oh, the boss has to handle it. And then my, my supervisor would be like, oh, I have to handle it. But she would say, hey, keep an eye out for this or you know, keep them on track with that if you can. And But the day crew were like, hey, you need to talk to so-and-so. They left this desk a mess. And okay, yeah, I'll take care of it for you. And I would. And part of my compensation was for the first hour that I was at work in a 10-hour day. I worked 10-hour days. Then the first hour I was at work, I'd go get a cup of coffee, and I'd walk around to all the departments and talk to people, the IT department, the receptionist, you know. And it was blatant. I mean, I wasn't trying to flip them off or anything. It was just what I wanted to do. And every once in a while they gave me grief, but for the most part they they would go back to the next day going, and the, the, they would put it, make it public too with my department going, you know, yeah, he walks around. He looks like he's not doing anything, but here's his reports from last night where he did uh, two, I mean, one and a half times more than everybody else. So, and they would say, please, you know, at times, please just make appearances and sit down. And I would. We'd compromise. My point is, know who you are. Know who you are. Know what you do. And I tell you, write it down. Find somebody you trust to to write down what they do so you can kind of compare notes and and see if you really are bringing more to the table. All right, so that's corporate America, but that can also affect your entrepreneurism. Mike is talking about how he has his rates for Mike at the Mike.com. And uh, Sherry's parents, you know, they argue with her about how to price these wood things out. Okay, let's go with some practicalities. What does it cost you? Your time. Uh, if you're making things from wood, the wood, the tools. But you have to factor in the skills, the fact that you're the artist that can do this. You're the person that can do this. Is somebody coming to you and asking you for this? Then you're valuable. Are they willing to pay for it? If not, maybe they don't value you enough. Here's the fear that I think every entrepreneur has, every artisan, crafty person has, every hobbyist who likes to do something on the side has. What if I lose that person? What if they decide to say no? That's okay. Because you need to know your value. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a yard sale. I actually did this the last time I did a yard sale. I, I did a social experiment. My wife is a couponer. We always have razors and toothpaste and, and those kind of things to sell because she gets them for free. And I'm, I'm not talking about like two or three. I'm talking about we have a stack of toothpaste that is like five boxes wide and three or four boxes tall and at least two rows back that we put on this table to sell. But with the razors, I find it interesting because I know how much they are in the store. They're three, $4 a pack for quote, unquote cheap razors. You know, you're talking about a bag with three nice-ish razors in it, or you're talking about one of the big yellow bags has 10 single blade use razors that are really crappy. Those are two, maybe three bucks in the store. We usually sell those for a dollar, but here's what I tried. Somebody would come through my little booth at the yard sale because I don't do a yard sale per se. I go to the community yard sales where I know there's going to be a lot of foot traffic. And they'll come through, well, how much, how much are your razors? I'll say a dollar. Hmm, all right. 
and may, you know some people are like, oh and they'll start pulling out the money they pick out the bags all right the next time how much you raise two dollars hmm. maybe they pull out the money maybe they don't there was no price that made people just go oh yes I'm gonna buy this and it's a yard sale and yet they didn't negotiate they didn't go well, how about the dollar they didn't say anything I'm like how have we lost the art of negotiation? At a yard sale of all places. That's where you should be going, I'll give you, how about I'll give you a dollar instead? Will you take a dollar? Sure. Because in essence, I don't want to go home with it. I want to sell everything as I can. So sometimes you can play with your price. You could say, all right, uh, let me go to my voice. I don't do voiceover work, my, my voice work, my production skills. I've pitched a couple of different people on that. Well, okay, what do you do? Well, you... First off, I have to explain who I am and how long I've been doing what I'm doing, you know, give them a bit of a, a verbal resume, if you will, and give them that, that as I'm telling the story, I'm giving them this energy and this happiness and how easy I am to work with. And of course, then it comes down to price. What I always say on projects is what kind of budget did you have in mind? Because that's a great negotiation tool. That way you don't necessarily leave money on the table, but you have to know what your stuff's worth. We'll go back to that in a minute, what it costs you to do it. And sometimes I come back, well, what are, what are you thinking? And I had that with uh, Jim Brewer. I worked with Jim Brewer, and I tried that on him. He was smart, man. I was like, you know, well, what are you thinking for what you want me to do with the website management and, and this and that and the other? Well, you know, what do you, what do, what do you normally get? Well, you know, <laughs> Jim, this is a different project. So it, you, you could try. And after he came back with, well, just tell me your rate. I was like, all right, fine. Because you, I... In concern, I never want to leave money on the table. I never want to say $25 an hour when you were thinking $50 an hour. You know, if you offered me $50, I might say that's too much. I might say yes, depending on the project. If you were saying, I was kind of thinking along these lines, or, you know, I feel a hesitancy to you, or like, eh, you'd rather. My base is $25 an hour, period. That's what I've come to know, industry standard. Remember that term, kiddos, industry standard. And uh, I, I know what you could go somewhere else and find it. But I know what I bring to the table, so I'd like to get a little bit more. More can mean a whole lot of different things. More can mean a relationship. More can mean uh, favors done for me. More can mean more money. I want more because I know what I bring to the table. But I have my baseline set. So with him, you know, I said, well, you know what industry standard is this? And this is what I'm happy to do. And this seems like an easy enough project. And he's like, yep, done. Which instantly made me go, he was probably thinking he's going to have to pay a lot more. But that's okay. Because the way we did the negotiations, we're both happy. And that's what you want. You want, if you're pricing out your woodworking artisan stuff, you want your customer to be happy and believe they got value. And you want to be happy knowing you got value. Right? That's what you want with every customer. Mike, that's what you want with your voice of work. You want your customer to be blown away like, oh, my God, this is this is worth 10 times what I paid for it. Check this out. The man is amazing. Now, here's the pitfall. Here's the pitfall, and this is what Sherry's mother falls into. This is what Mike is concerned with is underpricing it. You never want to be the person that everybody buys from because you're the cheapest. Walmart tried that. Now, here's the thing. When you're the cheapest, when you make the cheapest widget in the world, you have to make a ton of them to make money. The other end of it is when you make the most expensive, best widget in the world, you 
can sell a few of them and make a ton of money, but you're going to go longer periods of time because you're narrowing your market down. But to me, here's what Walmart has proved, because Walmart is a lie, okay? I'm not saying you should feel bad shopping there. Fine, go for it. But they're not everyday low prices. They don't beat people. I told a story on one of my shows about how they flat out employees of Walmart in my face, in their store where I'm trying to give them money, told me they never price match anymore. That is, and it's their own app. Oh my God, I'm about to get mad about that story again. <laughs> I will stop now. <laughs> but that still gets me, oh, I want to mm, energetically punch people in the face. That's what I want to do. But Walmart was at one point the low price leader. Watch their ads. They don't say that anymore. Look at their signage. They don't say that anymore. Because guess what? They're not the low price leader. Guess what? They will charge you $25 for a movie that their app on their website that connects to their website says is $15 in the store. They refuse to, to change the price. That their website will sell to me for $15. They refuse to change the price. That I can go to a competitor, Amazon.com, that was $15 and free shipping. They refuse to change the price. They're not the low price leaders. But for the longest time, they were. And what did they have to do? They had to take over the world. They had to have Walmarts in every little town everywhere. They had to be the only game in town in some places in order to make that money. I believe Sam Walton wanted to bring value to people. I believe whoever's in charge, his kids or whoever's in charge now, doesn't. They only want to line their pockets. For the longest time, Made in America was big for Walmart. Walmart was America. America, man. Mm -mm, not anymore. Now, I'm sure there are some things that are made in America. Uh, yeah, sure. But there's a lot of things that are not. Because how do you maintain that low price? You lose money and get the markup somewhere else in the store. Because that, that was Walmart's thing. And that's what I want to avoid personally. I, I never, ever desire to be your one-stop shop. I'm my own one-stop shop. If I have to be, I can record a show. I can produce a show. I can publish a show. I can write the notes. I can promote it. I can do everything. It's a lot of fucking work to do that. God bless Mikey Mike for being here to do the the production. He's done notes in some of my shows. Thank God for Chris Wisdom and on the Giant Size Team Up Network because holy shit, I lean on him a lot. I lean on him and Mike both in Giant Size Team Up Network. We do a show. Now I go figure out how we can get sponsors and how we can make more money and what's on the next show. Mike takes it, edits it, puts his whammy on it, makes it sound beautiful. And then he gives it to Chris. Chris goes and puts some amazing notes on that shit. He writes so well. And then he publishes it. And then he promotes it on Facebook and Twitter. And I go and try to do it as well. And other people do too. It's a team. But when you're the one shop, stop shop like Walmart, you have to hope that they're going to come in for cat food, which you're losing money on. But then they'll pass a million other things. No, they have to buy this. No, they want that. And now, now they've brainwashed the world to believe this is where you want to go for the lowest price and everything because it's called being marketing lazy. You were taught that it's a low price leader. You were taught to go in there. And all this plays into how you value your own stuff is mentalities and how people's mindsets work. Look at the yard sale. We're going to go back to the yard sale in a second. But Walmart taught the world, hey, this is the best price for everything. No, 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 no. Sometimes the best price is paying more for quality. But they taught the world, oh, this is, we're the low price leader. This is the lowest cost. You're, gonna, you're, you're not going to find a better price anywhere else. We'll price match. We'll beat our competitors, this and that and the other. And once they taught you that, they slowly but surely 
over years. I mean, I, Walmart's been around for a long time. But after Sam Walton died, which I believe was in the 90s, slowly but surely over years, they are very overpriced. Target will beat their prices sometimes. And Target is snooty in a, in a way. Target is not the end-all, catch-all, be-all of stuff. Target is like, nope, you come here for some higher-end, nicer things. They're almost like a every man's department store. You know, Macy's, JCPenney, those kind of things, Sears. You never want to do that as a, a person who's valuing yourself. You want to be known for being the best or known for your style, your heart, your your energy, your, your love of what you do. Because I'm going to tell you, think about it. Think about why you tip a waitress or a waiter, what you tip them. Think about why you go to your favorite place. Do they make you feel great? Are you a regular somewhere and they know your name and you come in and Sue Ann is your waitress? Oh, hey, Charlie, how's it going? Oh, good. How are the kids? You know, do do they, why, how do they make you feel? Typically, if you get good service is what we call it. Well, we get good service. What is good service? Well, good service, if you really boil it down to, is they made you feel good. They made you feel valuable to them. I go, I went to the same mechanic for a decade, never worrying about his price, although I felt like his prices were fair. Never price shopped what he did because he made me feel valuable and I trusted him. And then when things expanded, when he tried to, when things changed, he tried some business techniques that. I believe don't work for him. He tried to start upselling things. He had a mechanic underneath him who crossed the line and lied to my wife because she was a woman is what my take was on it because I saw different things like that happen because I could go in with the same thing and get a different result. Ultimately, that ruined the relationship. There was no more. We were no longer valuable as a customer to you. We were money. And I stopped going there. We started finding other places because if you're just about money, we will price shop. People will price shop. Think about the Walmart mentality, the one-stop shop, no negotiations. That has permeated our society to where at a yard sale, where there's a bunch of people out there. There are couponers everywhere. I haven't gone to a yard sale in over a year, a community yard sale, where there's not two or three, including myself, two or three booths slash tables that have obvious couponing things on there, on their tables. I believe in value for value. I believe in fair and free. Free being trade, being able to talk to each other, not giving it away. I believe that I know that I got this toothpaste for free. You might know that I got the toothpaste for free, but my wife did the work. That's value. She did the work. She did the time investment. She did the energy investment. And sometimes there's a lot of energy to work it out in her day to go and get these deals, not just to find them, but to get them because it's a time frame. It's time sensitive. And she did it. And then we took the time to come out here and set all this up to sell it to you. So for that value, I'm going to charge you a dollar a tube of toothpaste. It's $3 in the store. I can charge you $2 a tube of toothpaste, and you're still getting a great deal. You're getting value. But people, I honestly don't know what a lot of people look for in these yard sales because I always look for value. And that's what I want to get back to telling you about. You're afraid, you're concerned that you're going to lose that customer. That person might say no. What if they say yes and then never follow up? I've got a story about that. But you're, you somehow take it personally. And I'm speaking to myself, I did this. You're somehow taking it personally. They're going, oh, if I, put the, if I put the wrong price on and they say no, they won't do it. No, 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 no. Fuck them. I told people a dollar on a $3 tube of toothpaste and they turned their nose up at me. Why the fuck did you ask? You obviously didn't want shit. Go away. I told people $2. I'm like, yeah, all right. Some people paid me $2. 
Some people, more people paid me a dollar. It was just easier to say a dollar, you know, uh, because it's free. We're making money on it. So the cost, are you making a profit? Is it making you feel good about the energy you put into it? Because honestly, if you feel bad, oh, these fucking bad people come in and want to take money out of my pocket and they don't want to give me $2. It's $4 in the store and they don't want to even give me $2. You're never going to get value. Even if it gave you $2, you're not going to get value. You have to know what you're happy with. What makes you happy? When you make that wooden piece of art. And I think I know what she's talking about. I've had people make stuff for my kids that were Winnie the Pooh. Uh, where they cut out the outline of Winnie the Pooh and then they paint it to look like Winnie the Pooh or Cookie Monster or a fire truck. You know, those kind of things. They may, her parents, Sherry, your parents may do way more than that. I don't know. But that's what I'm kind of picturing right now. And no, it's not top of the line laser printed artwork. Right. It's it's there there's one or two that this guy did for free. My parents, you know, gave it to my kids. And I'm like, that's ugly as shit. I don't want that in my house. It's gonna scare my kids. But that's a taste thing. There's somebody who loved that. And my kids actually did enjoy it. I never see I don't voice those opinions to my kids. I let them make up their own mind. They actually liked it for a while. Until they outgrew it. But I personally went, that's kind of shitty. But there was other stuff this same gentleman did that's great. I'm like, okay, now that appeals to my taste. That is worth money. That I would say is worth ten dollars, fifteen dollars. He was selling it for like three. I'm like, dude, are you serious? You have the mental skills to know how to see a block of wood and to see a picture and to cut it out and make it look like that picture. You have the skills to paint it. To at least, even those shitty ones did resemble the the picture. They did, you know, you knew that was Cookie Monster. You have this ability. Why are you undervaluing yourself so much? Because I can't do that. And that's, that is indeed what we look for. We look for two things in life. When we're in the lowest common mindset, the non-negotiation mindset, the non-value mindset, when you're a customer, you look for two things. Can I do that myself? And do I want to do that myself? And how much will it cost? So that's three things because I can't count. <laughs> why do you go to Walmart? Why do you why do you stop at the flash foods at the corner store and grab a snack that you know is four dollars here and it's two dollars at the grocery store? Why do you go out to eat instead of cook dinner when you know it's gonna cost you Five times more to go out to eat than it is to, to make a dinner. Because it's easy sometimes. Yeah, there's desire. Am I preaching against dinner? Hell no. I like going out to eat. Uh, I love going out to eat. Sometimes that, it can get old. I definitely love the home-cooked meal. But I love the option of being able to, which I don't have right now. Uh, I'm without. I'm without the option currently of going, you know what, babe? Don't worry about cooking dinner. I know you don't want to cook dinner. Let's go get a good meal somewhere. That's cool to have that option. But there are definitely times, especially when we don't value ourselves, that we go, Ugh, I'm hungry. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go through this drive thru. My wife has worked hard to make drive throughs a dollar event. Not literally a dollar, but the dollar menu, you lower cost because marketing. Because it's easy, because you go through a drive thru and what do you see? You can buy a hamburger and be satisfied. But instead, you buy the meal, and then they upsize it. And then, oh, you know, somebody else is going to be hungry at home. And all of a sudden, you're spending $15, $20 instead of 3 I'm guilty of it. I'll go to Taco Bell late at night, 
instead of getting a burrito, which will absolutely fill me up at that time. I just need something to get me home and in bed. I'm talking about one, two in the morning after my gigs. I will go, oh, that box looks really good. Or I'll go, let me get a bean burrito. And, oh, you know what? Let me get that, that gordita crunch. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to need a drink. By the time I'm done, I spent money. And if I buy the, which I love the Taco Bell boxes, by the way, I do. And if I get a box, I usually have something that I didn't need to eat in that box. After the first or maybe even second item, because there's three to four items in a box typically. After the first or second item, I'm full and I've got one or two more things. Sometimes I save it, sometimes I eat it. It's, we're not talking about health tonight, but you know, could be. So how do you find your value? You have to know what you put into it. And I'm going to speak directly to Sherry's parents right now. You have the ability that the years it took to develop the skill to cut that wood into a shape. You developed the artistic skill to make it look good. That is valuable because I haven't spent that time. I have zero desire to spend the time to develop those skills. I hate doing crafts, to be honest with you. I'd rather I'd rather rewire my entire studio, which has a lot of wires and a lot of here to there and cross connections and things that would drive people crazy. I'd rather rewire my entire studio than I would to cut something out and paint it. That's value. Then you have the wood that you've gotten. Then you have the paint. Then you have the time that it took to sell it to somebody or to build that reputation where somebody wanted to come to you and buy it. That is value. You have to have all those things in your mind. You need to know your cost. How much did the wood cost you? How much did it cost to make this item? You need to at least know that. Oh, it cost me a dollar to make the item. Okay, now we need to add value on top of that. Because your time, your energy, your skills, what makes you happy? And then you you sell it. Now then, we talked about market uh, market standards, industry standards. So that goes into any kind of craft work. If you go to a craft fair, walk around. Have some else man your booth, walk around and see what other people are selling that's similar to you do your research go to etsy.com and see what people are selling there go to i don't know go to ebay depends on what you're doing go to different sites mike at the mike.com he does voiceover work he does production he can look up podcast production companies he can look up voiceover work and see what people are charging to do what he does that's a great way to price your thing out it's to start there. Why do I charge $25 an hour? I've gotten $65 an hour for what I do before because that's what the, the value that they placed on it. And that for that particular project where I'm carrying the weight of what is going on and your entire project lives and breathes on what you do and what I do, that costs a lot more. And I have to spend a lot of time doing it. I got $65. Why do, why do I take $25? Because industry standard now i know i'm gonna bring more to the table and actually recently here's something i want to tell you about getting a yes let's finish up the no i just reminded myself we're afraid oh i tell someone so what they probably weren't gonna buy your stuff there's no magic number if you're selling your your wooden cookie monster for ten dollars and so oh how much is this or they see the sign ten dollars eh. 
and they don't even ask to negotiate. Maybe you wouldn't negotiate. Maybe you're like, screw that. And I know it's valuable. I know it's $10. Hell, I know I can sell this for $20 to the right customer. And yes, that gets into a conversation about the right customer, right? Uh, uh, all these collectibles you see on Pawn Stars or uh, anything that gets evaluated for auction and those kind of things, right? Any of the uh, storage wars. Well, to the right person, you can sell it at this. More than likely, you'll probably get a lower amount, right? Uh, and the Pawn Stars guys say all the time about, hey, you know, I'm going to offer you, yeah, they said it's valued at $1,000. I'm going to offer you 500 Well, you just said it's worth Yeah, it is worth that, but I have to give you the cash today. You get to walk out with it, and then it's going to sit in my shelf for who knows how long. I have to take the time and energy investment to find the right customer, and I'm, there's no guarantee I'm going to sell it for $1,000. I'm going to price it for enough to make a profit because that's what I'm in business to do is to make a profit. And, yeah, you can go and do all the work, and that's the ultimate answer is you want to get $1,000 for that cookie monster because it's worth $1,000, and you have to do all the work yourself to get every penny. You want somebody's help, you have to break off a share of that profit. And that's why you see that. People will say no. $10. Well, they were just looking anyway. Who cares? Mike, people will look at your website and go, I, I haven't looked at his site in a while. I don't know what he's charging. I'm going to say uh, 50 bucks. 50 bucks for a 30-second jingle, for a 30-second voiceover. That's turned around in a day. You know, I would advise him against that. I'd advise him to charge more. I'd say give it a five-day turnaround. And, oh, you want it fast? Three days is 75 bucks. Oh, you want it tomorrow? $100. Because it's a rush job. Because I don't have time to really put my best work into it. You need to understand that. That's See, money is also understanding. And I don't know if we'll get into the rest of that in this episode. I think this episode we should really focus on how to, to find the value, how to value your product, how to, you know. So let's say Mike charges $50 for a 30-second voiceover thing. Well, a lot of people, oh, well, you're not serious. You don't really want it. Maybe Mike's underselling it for for what he does. Maybe the industry standard is $100 for that. And when somebody goes, why? Why are you charging $50? Maybe you're just not that good. I, I it's a it's a tricky road to, to follow. You can get fearful very easily. You can can overwhelm yourself with the negativity of it all. But yeah, you're going to lose customers. People are going to go, no, it's not for me. Here's how I build a customer base. I give them me every step of the way. I I, I feel a little bad about this, but I have a, a potential client that was introduced to me by somebody else, and uh, they're, there's some level of deafness to them, right? Well, as we're talking we got this great introduction and I went, I immediately went in and said, you know what? I'm going to be me in this email period. And I went, Hey, you know, by that introduction, one of us is Batman, one of us is Superman. I don't know which I'll let you decide, you know, you know, throwing that in because it literally was great introduction to each other where we got praised. Both of us got praised by the person introducing us high praise. And it was great. And so, uh, the person started talking to me and, and oh, I like that. You know, yeah, you know, I'll let you decide, but or well, we can decide as we get to know each other who's Batman and Superman and so on. And we talked about setting up a time and I just out of habit, because I'm being me, I typed something to her about a date and a time and I went, How does that sound to you? Because that's just what I would say. And then after I had said I went, I just said to a person who has a level of deafness, how does that sound to you? Oh well, 
either she'll get that that's part of who I am and she'll be okay with it or she won't be. And maybe that's not somebody I need to work with. She came back with, like, oh, sounds great. Because she did, apparently does not define herself by her deafness. And that's awesome. Because that's the person I want to work with is somebody who understands how I work and I understand how they work and we work together well. That's part of how you determine your value. So the story about getting a yes and walking away. Apparently, uh, many years ago, I registered with a bunch of different freelance sites that will let me do the work that I do for other people. And I had forgotten about most of them because it just, it, it was an incorrect path for me to take. They're great. They're out there. Plenty of people are getting work. It was just, I needed to take a different path. But I left them up, whatever. Well, not that long ago, earlier this year, I get an email from so-and-so wanting me to bid on a project. Now I get those from time to time, and they're always, can you develop this app? It has nothing to do with my profile. Why am I getting including in this? I, app development was never anything in my profile at all. Or I'll get, and I get why I get this, because I have to, everything's so generic, so I have to file under audio. Well, a lot of people want you to make jingles or write music for their stuff. Well, my audio is, I will take your spoken words and I'll make it better. My audio is, I will sit there and record what you do and coach you on how to make a better show And that's what you pay me for. Or it's, I will come and be part of your show. Somebody has hired me for that, where I bring my personality and my style to you, and you get my brand of how I do things in your way. I've gotten that. So a lot of them are just, ah, whatever. Well, this one was a talk show that was being developed. And so I got in and and made my pitch and talked about it and came down to me and one other person. And I I said, I quoted a rate of $30 an hour because of what they wanted to do and because they're asking me to invest in them uh because they're going to try to sell it to radio networks and so on and so forth and okay you know but i still want 30 bucks an hour well we got a talking and i like their project i like what they're doing it it literally was designed for me to do it was self-help that was the people were in two different locations in the united states and they wanted to sound like they're in the same room and they wanted a guest who also sound like in the same room that is a project I've already done. I've done the self-help project, and I told them about that. That was personal. So I understood where they're coming from and how to make, you know, how to put them together to sound like that because I did it for years with Success Freaks. And then the whole separate around the country slash world thing and sound the best, I did that with Entrepreneur Radio. And I made it sound like everybody's in the same room, and I made it sound amazing. I can do this project. They asked me to come down on my rates. I said, okay, I'll compromise. You know, they wanted 25. I said, I'll do 27 because the, the site is going to take a, a percentage of it, the site that we're booking this through. Uh, and they're like, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we did an hour-long conversation and where we're talking about how I can help them and what, what they want to do. And, and it became less of a – it was the pitch was done, right? This was like – I think I even they, – they basically wanted to move forward with me and how we're going to do that. All right, got a yes. Gave them a lower price. Came down on my price, but I'm still happy because I can be happy with that price that I gave them. And I know I'm getting value for what I do. It's going to help pay some bills. They're going to value me. I'm going to show them. I'm going to give you way more value than what you're paying for. And I got a yes. And all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to go do this. And we're going to do that. And we'll be back in touch with you next week. Well, next week came and went. And I did a follow-up email and nothing. The week after that came and went and got did another follow-up email. 
Nothing. And I quit. I don't chase work. Never, ever, 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 ever chase the customer. When they walk away, they walk away. Go after custom, new customers. Absolutely. Advertise. Bend over backwards. Give great customer service. Give value to your people. Never chase down somebody who doesn't want you. You will feel like shit. You'll lose money in the process. And it will affect your next thing going forward. That is so hard. That is so hard to do. I'm in a spot right now where I'm concerned about my income. And we'll talk about that on a special Patreon-only recording. But I, I am concerned about my income. But I keep reminding myself, I've had a great year. I've had money come in. I've been able to do special things for people. I've been able to do special things for myself. I've definitely had a good year this year. And while right now things possibly seem weird and tight, I know that tomorrow comes. And because of my last three to four years of tomorrow coming and things getting better, and while one source of income might go away, another one will show up. I have to remind myself of that. I had a job. I had a gig where I was not only going to pay my bills for a month off of this gig, my entire month of bills off of one gig, I was going to have money, a lot of money for Christmas. And I told my wife, I wasn't sure if I wanted to spend it on Christmas because how we do things. We'll talk about that and something else. But it was, it was, oh my God, it was good. No, I mean, it was replacing the money I would lose for that week. Oh, by the way, it's only a week of work to pay my entire month of bills. And I, it was work I could do and I was great at. And at the last minute, it fell through. I mean, I already had subs lined up for my 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 weekly gigs, and had things, to, and I had to go back to all of them and say, "Hey, sorry, my my thing fell through, and I'm going to need to do my own jobs now." And it crushed me because through no fault of the guy who booked me, who always tries to bring me good work, and through no fault of my own that I know of, it just went a different way. And business-wise, I can see exactly why it went a different way. It was cheaper to go that way, and they were able to work it out to do that. But it was going to be a lot of money for a little, little work. I mean, I, but here's the value. Here's how that relates to your value. It was a little work for me, but it's something other people are not great at. I had to go and run 27 microphones. I had to set them up in a room, had to wire them all to a soundboard, had to run them in a way that sounded great to everybody. And I had to do that. I had to do the setup and the breakdown once, you know, when I first got there and when I left. But then I had to wake up every morning and run it for an all-day meeting for three or four or five days. I can't remember how many days straight. That's a skill and an ability that a lot of people don't have. And what I brought to the table was my... I'm so easy to work with, and I do try to figure stuff out for myself. And I try to make it easy for everybody. And that's my value. And that's why the guy thought of me for the job. And through no fault of anybody's, it just went away. That crushed me. But tomorrow comes. So I hope through all this, I've helped you get a lot of uh, a sense of how to to value what you do you need to know the cost of what you're doing you need to know the value of your skill sherry the fact that your mom can paint period is valuable oh oh, oh. i want to hit one last thing but i'm gonna recap what i said first real quick know what it costs you because that plays in 
Know what is going to make you feel valuable to sell it at your bottom line price and then say no after that. Sorry, I can't do it because people are trying to steal your value from you. If somebody doesn't want to pay $5 for something that's worth 10 and five is your minimum and they want to nickel nine you down to three, no. Go uh, and go watch Shark Tank. Holy crap, I love that show. Go watch an episode of that and don't get caught up in the drama of the stories of my family's done this and that or the pitch even. Watch how the sharks talk about it. When somebody comes back to negotiate from 30% to to 27%, really? You're going to negotiate 2%. I've seen people try to negotiate a half a percent and a shark will come up and go, really? You're going to jeopardize your deal for a half a percent. Is it that important to you? Why? Why is it important to you? It's a great motivational show. But follow the questions they ask. It's the stuff I've asked. How much does it cost you to get a customer? Because that's something you need to know. And sometimes that's, well, it costs me a dollar to make this wooden plaque. And it costs me $10 to go and set up this booth at this, this craft fair. And it costs me my time and my energy because I'm the person who, who did this. It costs me my time and energy to be here. So not only do I have to cover the cost of what it costs me to make it, the dollar to make it, I have to cover the cost of the booth, $10. But then I need to get value for what I've done. So that needs to be a 3 to $5 item, period. Because you got to make up your physical costs and then you've got to make up your value. So know how much it costs. Secondly, know what things are going for. Are you making those awesome, I don't know if they're anywhere, but the South, I imagine they are. I imagine they're around. But in the South, people get, take Coke cans, you know, Coca-Cola soda cans, uh, those aluminum cans, and they turn them into airplanes and windmills and all these cool, crafty things. Well, are you trying to charge $50 for you for yours when somebody's, when everybody else is charging 10 Why You better be able to justify why yours are so much better enough to somebody to, get, to sell them. Is this the market for you? Are you going to a craft fair where everybody's selling stuff for $10 and you're trying to sell yours for 20 because somehow yours is worth 20 but the crowd the market there is expecting to pay ten dollars they're not going to bring twenty dollars because yours is worth double they're not prepared are you in the right place to sell this know this information know your industry standards is what i was talking about going around are they selling it for 10 mike you know you've said this are are, are is everybody else doing it for the same price are you too low are you too high know what you can be valuable at i set my rate at 25 to 30. My baseline is 25. 30 is good. If I do more, I will tell you why I'm going to charge you more. And it's your decision if it's worth worth it to you. But I'm bringing this value to the table. You need to understand who I am and what I'm doing. Same with podcast sponsorships. I've gone through that negotiation. Podcast sponsorship of what are your numbers? Well, before we talk about numbers, we need you need to understand what podcasting does versus what radio does. You know, I have to educate my audience to then get the money. Shoot, I lost the thing like, oh, oh, oh. You know, I wanted to tell you and then I recapped. Um, oh, I know. Here's the last thing you know about how to set your value. Shut up. Shut up and say okay. Yes, I said shut up and say. But when I say shut up, this Sherry, you, you posted it in your post. Mike, I've heard you say it. I've said it for myself. My wife gets this from me all the time. I tell her, shut up. Just say in your mind, just say thank you. Say okay. 
When somebody wants to pay you or give you money for the value you've given them, shut up and say, okay. When you price something, never, ever go. Sherry's mom in the post said, oh, you know, I don't paint that good. And Sherry's like, no, you paint great. This, I would pay, I want to make up a number. I'd pay $10 for this. And the mom's like, no, you know, man, five, maybe. My wife was the same way when she first started couponing and we were going to go sell it at the yard sale. Uh, baby, how much did you pay for us? Ah, you know, I paid three bucks, five bucks, three bucks. You know, no, no, no. I'm sorry, not how much you paid for it. That's that's irrelevant. It is irrelevant when you're making a now. You need to cover your costs. So if you paid a dollar, we need to at least get two dollars. You want a profit. But when you're making a price, the least relevant factor is what you paid. The most relevant factor is the value you're giving. How much is this worth in the store? Oh, well, that razor is worth eight to ten dollars in the store. I got it for a dollar. You could charge a dollar fifty. Fuck you. I told her that. Fuck you. I'm charging five dollars for this thing because it's half price from the store. And if I didn't sell it for five, I had to go back. Maybe I'd knock it down four, maybe three. I'm not going to charge less than three because that's a, yeah, 30%. That's a 30% of the cost of what you would pay somewhere else. Who gives a shit that I paid a dollar for it? That's not your business. The business is the value you're getting. And yeah, it goes back to Exxon. It doesn't matter what you're paying when you make a $7 billion profit and we are paying over $4 a gallon, you're raping us. You're not giving us any value. But today we're paying semi-fair prices, I believe, uh, usually around in the Southeast, $2 a gallon-ish. And you, you can afford and you're not feeling broken. And today, if you post a $7 billion profit, kudos, because we're getting value. We feel like it's a safer environment. I can afford to get gas. I can afford to to move forward in my life. And I'm making not a ton of money. <laughs> and I said it that way because the universe can go, oh, making a ton of money. We'll give that to you. Sure. No problem. But I would be, I'm below median income level for America. And I'm still not worried about paying for fuel for my car. I still go, yeah, I need fuel. Let me check my bank account. Yep, I can put $20 in my car or whatever. So the cost, so so shut up and say, okay. So my wife felt bad about that. Oh, my God, I got it for free. I feel, shut up. This is business. You let me handle the business if you're going to be that way. Because other than feeling like you got value, feelings are gone out of business. Oh, I feel so bad. Do they feel bad? They gave you the $10 for your Cookie Monster wooden plaque. And they walked away going, oh, God, little Barney's going to love this. And you feel bad? That's on you. Shut up. And say, okay. My wife did a lot of stuff for her grandfather in the past couple of months. And we never, ever broached the topic of charging him for it because that's not who we are. We are the people who give and take care of family and take care of people who need taken care of. Yes, other people brought it up. And yes, it is not unreasonable to go, you're taking a lot of time and energy and this would cost you if you had no family. It would cost you a lot to have somebody come do this for you. So it's not unreasonable to think somebody would want to offer to pay for that value. It's not unreasonable for the amount of time and energy she spent and the amount of life pushing that it did, that disruption of life that it did. It wouldn't. It's, it's very reasonable to go, 
hey, could you take care of something for me? You know, could you give me X amount of money or help with this or help with that because of the, the what's happened? That's very reasonable. But who we are is, no, we're going to come and help because you're family and because that's what she loves to do. My God, she loves to help people, especially family, but she will help anybody. She's been out today helping 4-H, volunteering and doing stuff for them. Then they could, they pay somebody else to do <laughs> that. I guess is overwhelmed. I don't know. But she went in and became, you know, helped them out. And her grandfather said, hey, I really appreciate what you've done over the past couple of months, and I want to pay you. What would be a good number? And she doesn't know the number is head, and she hated, she never, see, here's the thing. It's the same concern. It's the same concern everybody has. Oh, my God, if I tell him too much, if he has, like, $100 in his head, and I tell him $1,000, what am I going to look like? Oh, my God. Because you don't know. Because especially when it comes to, Artsy crafts, craft, cra- ah, artisan crafty stuff. <laughs> Art, yeah, artisan crafty stuff. I was trying to say artsy cratisan stuff. <laughs> when it comes to that, and when it comes to helping people, when you're sharing something you can do, and you feel like it costs you nothing. No, I'm happy to do this. Oh no, I was doing nothing else today. It really, really no, it's cool. When you really worry about it. And she did, and I had to tell her, shut up and say, okay, let's. here's how we start the basis of that. Let's go $15 an hour. Why? Because that is what you charge for this house cleaning that you do for this person. That is what you've charged to this person over here. Because, hey, go back to principle number one. Have you got paid for it? Then, yeah. Then that's a great place to start your value finding. Oh, somebody gave me 8 bucks an hour to come clean the house. Let's start there. Oh, you want me to do more? It's worth more. Let's talk about is going to cost you more. Oh, you want me to do this extra thing? Let's talk about what it's going to cost you. That's how, that's, that's an easy way to do it. But when I, I coached her, I talked to her, I said, here's the number I think you should do. She cut it in half and that's whatever. I said, you do, do what you need to do to feel good about yourself. Do what you need to do to feel valued and that you gave value. And if that's cutting a reasonable number in half, then that's fine. And sure enough, she told the number to her grandfather. He upped it. He didn't think it was enough. And that's fine. He felt like he was given more value. She felt like she was given more value. Everybody walks away from the table happy. And that's what I want to end up with today is shut up and say, okay, if somebody truly, Sherry, Mrs. Sherry's mama, if somebody will truly give you $10 and you want to say five, shut up, stop. Say, okay. The first time somebody gave me a tip, I, I, I work for a living. You know, I go to these jobs to host trivia and host karaoke and host parties and and do what I do best and liven up a crowd. I get paid to be there. And a lot of times it's in a restaurant where, God, I, I hate this system in America. I really do. And maybe it's the world, but I, I fucking hate the system of, oh, you're going to be a waiter and waitress. You're the face of the company to the person at the table. They don't see the cook who effed up the food. They see you who brought it to them. You're the face, and we're going to pay you the least amount of money. Because we have laws in America that say, well, you're going to get tips, motherfucker. So we're not going to pay you. Oh, really? That's Why aren't they getting minimum wage and tips? Because minimum wage does not support a family. And barely, I'm not even sure in some places, minimum wage supports a single person living with somebody else. It's bullshit. But so they're the face of your company. And they're the ones that the customers see. And they're the ones who work Really hard 
to be happy all night long on their feet, carrying stuff to and from. They're doing a shitty job if you really break it down. They're coming and giving you what you want because you didn't want to do it yourself. And they're going to be happy about it. And you maybe you don't take eh. Well, my point is, I get paid more than most people in those restaurants get paid to be there. And my job is easy and it's fun. And I can even drink while I'm doing my job if I want. I get to do my job my way, period. And I get to bring fun to people. So I, I refuse to put out tip jars in restaurants. And I, the first time somebody walked up to me and handed me a tip, I didn't know what to do. I had no idea if our company had a policy on it. I had no idea how the restaurateurs would feel, the managers, the the waitresses. I, 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 I was like, uh-oh. But I said, okay, thanks. And then it happened again at some other point. And there is there are situations. When I'm in a bar, that's different, man. I'm bringing the party to the bar. And there were people for weeks at this one particular place that I love to go to that every night they would come up and they would just hand me folded up money. And I felt awkward because it's awkward to do that to somebody. But they wanted to make sure that I, I knew I was appreciated. They loved what I did. I finally started putting out a tip jar there. Guess what? People started putting money in it because I finally got past, oh, I, I don't. And I'm saying this intentionally. Oh, I don't want to take away from the waitresses. I don't want to take away from the bartender. I don't. Shut up and say okay. So I did. I put out a little tip jar. And sometimes money gets put into it. This particular place, it really does appreciate me. And I I mean, I whether there's a tip jar there or not, I'm bringing the party because they love the party. And I'm bringing the show because they love the show. And I made sure from night one to call out the bartender and say, take care of this guy because he's awesome. Make sure you take care of these awesome young men and women who are serving you tonight. You know, so on and so forth. I really try to promote taking care of people. And very quickly, people learned my name and started calling me out on the microphone. Hey, give it up for Charles. He'd be great tonight. They, same place. We'll put money in my bucket. So that's the thing I want to end on. Shut up and say, okay, stop stopping yourself. Let somebody help you. Let somebody give to you the value they want to give. So many more stories on that. So many more things I could go on by. I hope you get the point. My shows have become an hour and a half. That's apparently going to be standard now from the hour that I was doing. But hey, thank you, Sherry, so much for bringing that question in and sharing your story. Thank you, Mike, for sharing your story and what you got out of it and taking a share that we did value for value. Well, I probably touched on a lot of the same points, but I really tried to keep it more practical, more. But but it all ties together. Anyway, thank you both for being very outspoken on this meant something to you and here's what it meant and here's what you want to know more of. That means a lot to me. That's value for me. Pretty soon, you're going to be able to go to patreon.com forward slash rock god of podcasting and show me other value by giving your money, by helping support what I do, growing what I do, by spending some money and helping me out. That's coming. By As of this recording, it's not up, but by the time this publishes, maybe it's up. So go look, patreon.com forward slash rock god of podcasting. If you go to rockgodofpodcasting.com, I guarantee once my Patreon site is up, I will have a logo link there as well. But, hey, I need you better than that. Well, okay, right now money is really goddamn good. I could really use some of it. But also as intrinsically valuable to me is I would love to have more ears hear what I have to say. I believe what I'm saying is important. I believe you believe what I'm saying is important. It's entertainment if it's not important. 
I need you to tell everybody about this show, to go and share it with other people. I need you to to post it on your Facebook pages, to share it on your Twitter, to go and leave a review on iTunes. I'm going to make a link that will go into every show note. That'll make it easier for you to give me a, a rating on iTunes. Follow me on Block Talk Radio, the partner of this show and the great host site for me there. They've been helpful and they've put me on the front page a couple of times. And that's very much appreciated. I need you to help me to share the word. I need you to help me keep this going because I love this thing. I feel like it's really important. It's the favorite, my most favorite show that I do. I need your help with that. You can do that by sharing, like I said, by possibly going and, and giving some money. If you want to just donate some money straight PayPal, bearcrawling at gmail.com. I'll have a PayPal link put up on my site soon too. Bearcrawling at gmail.com. One-time donation. I will, I will thank you. Thank you is what I would say and do. But you can also help this show keep going forward by giving me the best moments possible by responding to the posts that are on facebook.com forward slash rock out of podcasting by sending your comments. Hit me with those questions. R-G-O-P at charlesmcfall.com. Hit me with those questions. And of course, speak pipe on rock out of podcasting. Thank you for listening. Go out there and make your own stories and come back and I'll help you some more. Okay, podcasters and YouTubers, my name is Mike Woodard, otherwise known as producer slash audio engineer for the Rock God of Podcasting. Look, you know you're producing amazing content, but is your audio game as tight as it needs to be? If you need to level up the overall sound of your show, I'm your guy. If you need a kick-ass intro for your show, I'm your guy. If you hate the sound of your own voice and just need someone to handle your voiceover narration, I'm your guy. Need music beds? Need sound effects? Just go to mikeatthemike.com. Check out my demos and take a look at my rates. You can sound better than you do, and I can help. Mikeatthemike.com. <laughs>